my gosh, where do I start? Today's guest is a legend of 80s movies starring in one of the greatest films of the decade, which I'm sure holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts. She of course played Lorraine Baines in Back to the Future and went on to have her own TV show in the 90s and more recently has been directing. So it's a huge privilege to have her here today to talk about her life after that thing she did, as well as her latest movie, Unplugging, please welcome, from her closet, because that's where the best sound is, Leah Thompson. Leah, hello. I'm so honoured you could join us today because you are literally 80s movie royalty. So thank you so much. Thank you. That's a nice introduction. I appreciate it. I just wanted to say first that I'm a big animal person and I love your horse Nordic. You posted a video of him rolling around on your lawn at home, living his best life. But I'm amazed at the menagerie you've had over the years at your home with horses, dogs, cats, a parrot, a tortoise and fish. And I used to have a tropical aquarium and struggled explaining to people that fish were pets. So I'm so pleased someone of your legendary stature can back me up on this. <laughs> Oh my God, I love my fish. That's insane. I love my fish. I, I don't understand how people could not think that fish have personalities and are pets. They're just amazing. My fish, they come up to me when they see me. They're hungry. They swim around like happy. Yes, fish are people too. Can I ask you a controversial question? Mm -hmm. Do you eat fish? I do, sadly. <laughs> I also have chickens and I eat chicken. A lot of chicken. I can't eat fish because I had fish. You're smart. You're a good person. I don't understand how I could eat anything with a face. Okay, let's get down to business and enter the nostalgia zone. First, I just wanted to briefly talk about the first film I saw you in, which in the timeline is slightly later, but just because of how old I was at the time and home video release here in the UK. But Space Camp was the first film I saw you in. Wow. Alongside Tate Donovan, very young Joaquin Phoenix, and Kelly Preston, who sadly is no longer with us. Um, but it has so much nostalgia for me. I wore out the VHS and it had quite an impression on me because... Not only did it make space cool, uh, and watching kids get accidentally sent up into space was very exciting, <laughs> um, but also it was the first film I saw that had a female lead character that was smart and ambitious and saved the day, most importantly. Were you aware of that significance at the time? And what are your memories of making that movie? I read it was quite a gruelling shoot. That is so sweet. I never thought of it that way. Maybe that's why I took the part, because I instinctively hadn't seen that, you know. But it's funny. I just never thought of it that way. A lot of people do come up to me and tell me that they became scientists or they are astrophysicists or, you know, women. And I feel extremely proud of that, you know, to have inspired people in career in science when, you know, it's traditionally uh, women haven't really, especially at that point, gone into careers in science. So mm. um, that's so sweet. And it was a very grueling shot. Shoot, we were 10 days behind after the first day. <laughs> they had no idea how to shoot that movie. They went into production before they figured out how to actually make that movie. So it was odd. And uh, it, it, it took us six months to shoot. It was very hard. But um, you were inducted into the actual 
Space Camp Hall of Fame in 2016. I mean, that's a great badge of honor to have. Didn't even know that. Thank you for telling. Did you not know that? No, I don't think so. The whole cast were and the film were inducted into the Space Camp Hall of Fame. That's so adorable. I'm actually going to Huntsville, Alabama. I think in two weekends for a Comic-Con. So I'm going to go visit Space Camp again, which will be fun. You should go and then find out what happened to the honor. Like you should just rock up and say, don't you know who I am? I'm like, I'm probably on a plaque somewhere on a wall here. Let me in. There's a, there's a hall of fame, like a, a, a sidewalk in Studio City where I shot Caroline in the City. And I, someone was always telling me that I was on that sidewalk. And I never saw it. And one day I was just walking and I went, oh, there it is. <laughs> and so on to the film that is arguably one of the greatest films of the 80s, Back to the Future. And what a gift of a role you had where you got to play more than one version of Lorraine, a 1950s Lorraine, two 1980s Lorraines who are both broken and successful, two future Lorraines and also ancestor Maggie McFly from 1885. It was a great part in a great movie. So I'm often asked if I'm bored talking about it, but there's there's no way I could be. I'm so proud of the movie. I'm so proud that it's stuck around, that generations of people show it to their children and then show it to their children is uh, a gift and an honor that I never dreamed I would have in my life. It was mm. no, nothing that I thought would happen for me. So um, I think that movie is so fascinating because it's, you can enjoy it on so many different levels, um, so many different ways that you can enjoy the movie uh, and perspectives. You know, if you're just a little kid, you're like, oh, there's poop. It falls on the bad guy. You know, <laughs> if you're <laughs> if you're a teenager, you're like, oh, my God, that, that mother's hitting on her son. And uh, and then in, if you're older, you you realize the deeper meaning of the movie, which is, I think, that if you have the courage to stand up to a bully or stand up for your convictions at the right moment, you can not only change your life, but your family's life forever. And that's the kind of the thing that, you know, really captures the imagination is that kind of, I guess, that sliding doors moment, that one moment in time can totally change your life in this case, mm -hmm. whether George punches Biff or not. But, you know, who doesn't think, what if I hadn't done that? What would have happened? Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. But while you were... Um, while you were listening to Mr. Sandman repeatedly to get in the zone while filming, um, how are you also preparing to play all these different incarnations of Lorraine? Because, you know, obviously you were a young actress at the time, but you're, as well as playing a teenager, you're also having to play a mother and kind of a bit of a slutty mother and <laughs> also like a, a pioneer woman. For some reason, I just understood the characters because I remember the screen test at Amblin with Steven Spielberg operating the giant VHS whatever camera that he had. Um, for some reason, I just understood the the sad, drunken Lorraine at the beginning of Back to the Future 1, even though I was, what, 23 at the time. I just understood her. And, you know, sometimes it's funny. It's the same thing with singing. Sometimes you think you can sing a song and you can't. Sometimes you think a character's not right for you, and it is. You know, some things just fit well. And uh, I understood those characters, and I prepared very hard. I, I can't find it, but I, a couple of years ago, I saw the original script, and the amount of work that I had done on that script was insane. Like, I listened to music. I carried all 
the right coins and lipsticks and period things in my purses. And I, oh, I read magazines and I really worked hard on that part. We all worked really hard on our characters and they're dementedly different. Everyone doing a different style of comedy, like in that movie. So sometimes things just magically come together and there's no, it's magic. The thing that blows my mind a bit is that when I first saw the film, going back 30 years into the past seemed like the olden days to me. <laughs> 1955 seems so long ago and people were ancient if they were alive then. And yet if Back to the Future was made today and they went back 30 years, they would only go back to 1992. Oh <laughs> and that just God. makes people really old. <laughs> I know. It is, uh, it is inexplicable how time marches on. Um, gosh, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. It's, and that's what's, Interesting, but I think those movies, like you were talking about Space Camp, I think those movies are really important to people because it was the first time you could hold a movie in your hand and play it whenever you wanted to. And it was, it was a magical moment in history that'll never, never exist again. Um, because now we just like go and you Google it and you find where you can play it. But up until that moment, you couldn't go and buy a movie and hold it in your hand, and put it in, and play it over and over and over again. And I'm sure that's why there's so many fans of Howard the Duck. <laughs> they must have ordered a lot of copies, and then they went deeply on sale. So people <laughs> could buy them for $5 and own them, and play them 100 million times. But it was a special moment in history that will never occur again. <laughs> we'll talk about How the Duck in a second. But um, listeners can't see it. But I coincidentally still have my Playmobil Back to the Future advent calendar on display here from Christmas. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> and I was wondering, um, you have a Lego toy of you and a pop vinyl figure and some other fa uh, action figures too from Red Dawn. Really? You do. I don't even know that. I was going to say, do you have any of them? No, you should get some. But how cool are you for having your own action figure? <sighs> I am so cool. I can barely stand being with myself. <laughs> there are so many cool things about being me sitting in my husband's closet here. <laughs> it's interesting. There's certain things that really stood out in my life is like when they did Black to the Future in Mad Magazine, that was like an Academy Award. You know, there's certain things that really stand out in my life that I'm uh, surprised about and uh, hold as dear memorabilia. Okay, it's time to leave the nostalgia zone and enter what I like to call the latted zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. So after Back to the Future, you starred in How the Duck, as we mentioned. Um, and although it's a cult classic now, and I'll say I loved it when I first saw it, when I was eight or nine and thought it was just a fun film about a duck. I didn't get the duck condom reference at all, or the sex bar he worked at, uh, but it didn't fare as well with the critics. And I think people underestimate how devastating to a career that can be. So coming from the success of Back to the Future, how did you cope with the roller coaster of emotions that must have come with that? And, and thank God social media didn't exist back then. It was horrible. I mean, it was very interesting, really. In the course of a year, I was in the biggest hit and the biggest bomb. And so that was really difficult and um, probably destroyed my film career, even though I did some you know, good films after that, especially some kind of wonderful. But yeah, it was really difficult. And 
uh, it's interesting that it has still such legs. People love Howard the Duck. And those are some of my favorite fans because, you know, anybody who goes like, I don't care what anybody said. I think it's really cool is my kind of person. So I, <laughs> I wear my Howard the Duck scarlet letter like a badge of honor. Emotionally, how did you kind of cope with that? I mean, it must be so hard as an actress. You kind of have to deal with a whole lot of rejection anyway just to get parts, but to have this thrown on top of you as well must be pretty difficult. It was. It was devastating. But then, uh, you know, what happened because of that, I had turned down this film, Some Kind of Wonderful, and the week after Howard the Duck opened, uh, my friend Eric Stoltz brought me the script again and said, would you do this movie now? And I was like, yes. And that's where I met my husband and I'm still married to him. So sometimes, you know, the worst thing turns out to be the best thing. You never know. It was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had such a prolific career and to whiz through the next decade after How the Duck was some kind of wonderful as, as we just mentioned the Beverly Hillbillies obviously the Back to Future parts two and three and then in 1995 you landed your own sitcom Caroline in the City and I think at the time you'd recently just had your second daughter Zoe Zoe Deutsch, who, of course, is also a successful actress and producer, along with your other daughter, Maddie. And you were such a new mum at the time that you were still breastfeeding during network notes. So I was wondering, as an actress and a parent, there must be immense pressure to keep in the game and keep working, because if you don't, you'll get forgotten about. And it's hard enough having to fight, as we said, you know, for roles and have your heart broken into a million pieces every time you don't get one. How did you manage that? It was uh, hard. Sitcoms are really hard. For me, they were. They were. It was a lot of pressure having my own sitcom. I actually had the greatest time slot in the history of the world between Friends and ER on NBC on Thursday night, I think it was. And uh, so it was quite a bit of pressure along with having two very small children. Um, I was also building this house. Uh, it was just a lot. But, you know, they always say, if you want something done, a- ask a busy person. Um, I really enjoyed doing a sitcom. It was a challenge. And uh, I'd like to do it again because it's in front of an audience. So, you know, it really challenges you as a performer. And, and telling jokes in that kind of way is, is quite high pressure because I, I wasn't really trained to tell jokes that way. But, uh, you know, it was a good, in theory, a good job to have as a mother. And uh, I still think that show is hilarious. I don't know why it didn't have legs in syndication, but it's a great show. If you find it and watch it now, it's still really funny. And you have a cat. I have a cat. A bizarre thing to have a cat, a trained cat in a sitcom with an audience. (laughs) Did it kind of perform as you expected it? I mean, I always say, you know, like you can't teach a cat to do anything. Although I actually have taught my cat how to high five and return for treats. Oh, but, that's um, so was, was it a good showbiz cat? <laughs> it was a good showbiz cat. And they had stunt cats because if you had to, they, this cat was starred in its own movie. Uh, was it? It was a movie with Michael Fox doing a voice about a cat and a dog coming home. Homeward Bound. Yeah. I think it was called. So this cat had already starred in a movie. So he's a little snobby. Oh, so it was a diva. Yes. Diva. <laughs> um, but the cat was basically just trained to stay. And if you clicked it, it would run to its cage. And so if you had to pick up the cat, it all of a sudden turned into dark matter, weighed 200 pounds. It was like, I'm going to stay. Uh, Dead weight. (laughs) Yeah, it was funny. And we used to make terrible jokes about Italian people all the time. 
and no one ever wrote a single letter. But one time there was a joke. The cat was wet and my acerbic assistant said to the cat, he looked at a microwave and he said, you want to dry off? And we got bags of mail. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> bags of mail about how, how stupid that joke was. You had an agent once who told you that you could only play three roles, virgins, whores, and mothers, which to me is pretty shocking. But what effect did that have on you as an actress and as a person? Well, first I thought, wow, Back to the Future was a great series of movies because I got to play all three, virgins, whores, and mothers. (laughs) But um, it's kind of brutal. Um, It is brutal. Hopefully things have changed a bit. And that was certainly the truth at the time. And uh, it's one of the reasons that I become a, a director because there's so few parts for women of my age after 50. I believe it's somewhere like two and a half percent or three percent of the speaking roles are for women over 50. And so those kind of roles, the good ones, which are very few, are going to go to women with uh, Academy Awards and Emmys, and I have neither. So um, that's part of the reason I really wanted to direct. Not yet. Not yet. I love your, I love you. There's still time. (laughs) Still time. (laughs) I know. I feel like I'll probably have a renaissance in my, you know, late 60s or 70s or something as an actress. So you you mentioned directing there. And um, to, to fast forward again, You've got some 70-odd acting credits to your name since Caroline in the City. Really? Including, of course, the, the Jane Doe TV movies, five seasons of the great drama Switched at Birth, and you had a starring role on Broadway in Cabaret as well. Um, you started directing in 2006 and have managed to juggle doing it alongside acting, especially more in the past few years. And most recently, you did a couple of episodes of Resident Alien and Star Trek Picard. When you go back to an acting gig now, after directing, has that relationship between you as an actor and whoever's directing you changed? Like in terms of giving up the control, are you secretly thinking sometimes, well, maybe it'd be better if we tried it this way? And Yes, I think there's a little bit of that, but most of the time you're just relieved that you don't have to think about that and you can just go back to your trailer. Because you know, directing is so you know, you, th- you cannot stop thinking, you cannot stop pushing, you cannot stop making choices. And so acting is like a vacation. And it's mostly I just feel sorry for the director. <laughs> if something is going wrong, or if someone's giving them a hard time. And I've ha- actually had the pleasure of directing a scene with three other directors in acting in it. And they just kind of fall into place and are, are, are usually just mostly sympathetic. So that's how I am when I'm acting. You know, when I see that they're making what I think are big mistakes, I mostly keep it to myself and, I, you know, I don't have any control over it. But oftentimes I'm completely wrong. You know, they have their own vision. And, and when I get to see the movie, I, I, I appreciate why they did things the way they did. But directing is a lot about time management and um, economy, you know, of of motion. And those are things I really understand quite well from all my years of experience. 
So on to the acting then. Let's talk about Now and your latest film, Unplugging, which also stars Eva Longoria and Matt Walsh as a couple who take a trip to get away from all the technological distractions of modern life but get a little more than they bargain for. And you play Perkins, the local town crank and conspiracy theorist. And I love your character because you play it so straight, but you're so funny <laughs> with it. And it's not like the types of characters we usually see you play. Yes, I, uh, every time I get a movie, I'm like, how many people did you offer this to before you get to me? Um, I've really worked on some lovely movies that have, you know, been in the competition at Sundance, um, been, I have a lovely movie called Dinner in America that, that's amazing. That was in the competition at Sundance. Like I get to play these weird little parts in these little movies and I feel so happy to be able to support you know, filmmakers, women filmmakers and, and friends. So that's kind of how this part came about. I, I knew Matt Walsh and they asked me to come and play. And it was at the beginning of the, I mean, it was the very first movie I did coming out of quarantine. So it was really strange to find myself maskless in a car with two actors and a raccoon. <laughs> it was like in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was very weird. Um, and I, I love this character. I, I made a movie called Red Dawn and I felt like this was like the, the character grown up kind of wacky survivalist. <laughs> it's a, a theme that I think most people can relate to. I mean, I've certainly had those nights where me and my husband are lying in bed and he's on his phone and I'm on my iPad until, until lights out, basically. Can you relate to that as well? Oh, yeah we're not evolutionarily uh, ready for what happened to us with the phones. Like it's just too much, I think. And I'm definitely addicted to my phone and it's horrifying. Remember, I don't know if you're young enough to remember when you actually were worried about losing your wallet. Now you don't even care. You're like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? <laughs> no, I'm 41. I know. I remember the days when you had to use a payphone to call people. And if you met up with someone and they didn't turn up, you just stood there for like two hours waiting for them and you couldn't ring them. <laughs> no, I know. It's a, so crazy and it gets more and more addictive. And I think that that's what's so fun about this movie, the idea of what would happen if you actually when I, I mean, it used to be not even like five years ago, if you went to Mexico, your phone kind of didn't work. But now if you go to Mexico, you're, you're just the same. You're just on your internet and the phone and you're calling people and you're still working. There's like no place to go where you can get away from your phone. So that's what this couple's trying to do. Cruise. A cruise? Transatlantic cruise. Oh. I, I do a lot of cruises. And if you don't buy the very expensive internet package, you literally have five days at sea no phone, no connection, nothing. You literally can just get away. Highly recommended. I love that. I'll try. We do it all the time. Um, it's funny because um, there's a scene in the film where Matt Walsh talks to a delivery driver and calls her Alexa, even though her name isn't actually Alexa, but his actual Alexa device springs into life at a really inappropriate moment. Um, and while I was watching the film, my Alexa did exactly the same thing. <laughs> sprang into life as well. <laughs> so I'm just wondering how many people would they watch this film if they're watching it on home release? Oh. Uh, their Alexas are going to go mental <laughs> when they're watching this film. I didn't even think of that. For, for me, she just kind of came out and said, sorry, I don't understand. I'm terrified of Alexa. <laughs> my mother-in-law has Alexa and uh, Siri, and she can't remember which one is which or how to get which one on. I'm just like, scream them both if you're in trouble. 
I'm now aware, well, that, that whilst I'm talking about this, I'm inadvertently making other people's Alexas go crazy as well. <laughs> well talking, you can't get away from it. It's why nobody calls their child Alexa anymore. Uh, you mentioned the raccoon uh, a second ago. Uh, they, they say never work with children or animals, but Perkins has a pet raccoon called Lulu. And as we know, you're a big animal lover. How did you fare with the raccoon on set? The raccoon was lovely, but the problem was no one kind of cleared it with the trainer. And apparently, well, the truck we used was a, a smoker. A smoker lived in the truck. So the whole car smelled like smoke. And so the raccoon was rightfully a little bit afraid of the smoky truck. So we had to calm him down a bit because, you know, a wild animals are afraid of smoke for good reason. And uh, so she was a little bit upset about it, but then she calmed down when she realized that we were awesome folk and uh, <laughs> it was really funny. And, and, and she was very sweet. Was she actually called Lily? Was that her real name? I can't remember. It was a long time ago, dueling. <laughs> Because I always wonder, well, I appreciate how a script can have like an animal in it and they give the animal a name. But I always think, does it really matter? Surely it would be easier to just give the character whatever name the animal is in real life because it'd be much easier to call it to you and do stuff, right? That's true. I feel like that's happened a few times in my career with my, a lot of animals that I've worked with. But you're right. That would be good. Was the showbiz cat from Caroline in the City? Did, did No. It probably had like one of those breeder show cat names, like my cat's called Lady Sushi Floofenberg. <gasps> uh, it's probably, it's probably like that. My cat, my cat's name was Stinky Pete. That was a good name. R.I.P. Stinky Pete. Stinky Pete, I know. Oh, um, just before we leave, I saw that you met Michelle Obama in 2018 and fangirled a little bit. Can you share the story behind that and what you spoke about, if anything? Because I would love it if she fangled back at you about being in Back to the Future. Um, no, I don't think she... I, she's, you know, obviously a billion people, a zillion people. I just, you know, worship her. So I turn into a complete idiot, honestly. Um, I just was... and I, But but the nice thing was I was with my, my girls. So it was a really special moment to share with them and to meet her and she's been such an amazing person uh you know just such a, a role model to me her grace and intelligence things i i could never i could never be as smart and wonderful as her so that's probably something i was like you're so amazing i'm like i, I mean i like just turned into an idiot so no i don't think she knew who i was and as a matter of fact i think when i worked with um Patrick Stewart, I, because I was wearing a mask and a, a, a shield, I don't even know if he knew I was an actress. Really? At all. No, I, I don't, because we were just like covered up. We're so covered up, um, you know, to protect him. Because I, when I worked with him, it was just like the beginning of the first shot. Like we all had to be very, very careful. And uh, I was like, do you even know I'm an actor? I'm not sure he did. <laughs> And that's sometimes hard when I'm directing. I'm like, I want to act with this person. I, you know, I want, I, I, sometimes I'm like, oh, shoot, I just, I don't get to act with them. You must get people fangirling over you, though, when you're directing them. Yes, I do. I do. And I'm so surprised. It's very easy for me to compartmentalize myself, um, I think, from being kind of famous uh, 
off and on for so long, I can actually not notice. I never notice when people are looking at me or pointing at me. My kids are always like, they're looking at you. And I, I just don't notice. So I can literally compartmentalize myself. I mean, I remember one time going up to Brad Pitt and my sister wanted an autograph and I was going to ask him for an autograph, forgetting that I was famous. And he was like, oh my God, Leah Thompson, you're the reason some kind of the wonderful is why I came to Hollywood and became an actor. And I was like, oops, I guess I can't ask you for your autograph. <laughs> I somehow, I can kind of compartmentalize myself. I'm like, I'm a director now. I'm a mom now. I'm a, I think, I think I have a switch that I can turn on and off, but it's not really true. Uh, Brad Pitt, if you're listening. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Leah wants your autograph. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure he'll oblige. <laughs> exactly. Leah, it's been so lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much. Best of luck with unplugging and happy birthday for the 31st of May. Thank you. You are so lovely. I love talking with you. Thank you for being so prepared and amazing. You're awesome. massive thanks again to Leah for joining me. Unplugging is out in the UK on digital platforms from the 13th of June and if you're elsewhere in the world check your local services as it may already be there. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Celebrity Catch-Up. As I always say I know there's lots of podcasts to choose from so thank you so much for choosing this one. If you'd like to support the show, please visit celebritycatchup.com where you can donate the cost of a coffee or whatever you'd like. And there's also a shop where you can buy things related to all the guests that have appeared over the series. And please don't keep the podcast to yourself. Do share it with a friend or on social media so that others can discover and enjoy it too. Hit that follow button, leave a nice review. All that stuff massively helps me out and keeps the podcast going. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.